If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 16. You look on the screen, you see a wanted dead or alive poster. Thought we'd have a little fun with this this morning. I just I was going to tell you before the other thing came up is no men get up and run if you see that wanted dead or alive, okay? Stay seated, you're fine. Today I want to offer you a message entitled God's Ten Most Wanted Men. Now, this is a matter of making you smile. Have you ever thought about the men that they're looking for? If he, I'm going to ask uh, uh, whoever's up there, Ben or Mitch, to hit that space bar one time. And let's just see. Yeah, there, there goes some, some crazy men. Here comes the crazier ones. These are not our guys, except for one picture. Uh, I just picked some pictures because I want you to realize. We got, here comes our picture of our men. <laughs> Here's what I want you to know, and I want you just to hang on to that thought a second, is that one of the most elite law enforcement agencies in our country is the FBI. The FBI has the top wanted, the 10 most wanted. And if you get on that 10 most wanted list, here's what you need to know. There'll be a bounty on your head of somewhere between 100000 and $20 million. I looked at it recently, and it ran between that much because they want you, and they want you bad. Here's what I'm going to say to every man in the building today. God wants you. God wants you. God wants men. Yes, I get it. He wants women and he wants teenagers and he wants children. He wants everybody. But make no, but make no mistake about it. You read this book and you discover that God wants men. He wants real men. He wants masculine men. He is looking for men who have crossed the road from being good men to being godly men. He wants, he wants men whose hearts are given to him. And that brings us to our scripture today. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly devoted to him. Now it has a couple other lines there that I didn't put up there. But I, but I will tell you, it gives us the consequences. He says, and just, just leave that there, Ben. He says, you have been foolish in this matter. Therefore, you will have wars from now on. He's speaking to, to the Israelite people. And I just, I, I, those consequences are stout. I didn't put them on the screen because I want you to get this picture that God is looking for men. He's looking for men. He's looking for people who fit this bill. And yet, the problem in this culture, and I'm hoping everybody realizes that we have a problem in our American culture. The problem in the American culture is that we have absentee dads we have men who only try to be good old boys. And make no mistake, being a good old boy is not the same as being a godly man. Today I want to offer you ten, you can see it in your bulletin, ten most wanted 
men. And now you're saying, well, I hope lunch don't burn at the house if he's got a ten-point message. You just hang on. I think it's important, and I think we're okay, but, but every one of these ten most wanted speaks to each of our hearts. The first thing, the first man that God wants is a saved man. He wants a man who has been saved. In this culture of easy believism, many people say, I am saved. And yet God is looking for those who have truly been saved, those who have been changed from the inside out, those who have been transformed by the power of the blood, those have been, who have been made into new creations, those who have turned loose of the old life, those who have literally been born again. He is looking for men and more. He is looking for men and more whose lives testify. Are you listening? Testify that Jesus made a difference in them. He is looking for men who have been born again. Two times in John 3, Jesus said, Unless a man is born again, he cannot, he will not see the kingdom of God. If you can't see the kingdom, you can't know it. If you can't know it, you can't experience it. And if you can't see it and know it and experience it, you're not in it. And when you're not in it, you're not in it because you're not saved. He is looking for people, for men who see and know the kingdom because they are in the kingdom because they have been born into the kingdom. I just want to pause here and say we may have a house full of church members who have never been born again. Because being born again means that we have submitted to Christ, that we have, that we have let him come into our life. But before I, before I just kind of pass this over about being saved, everybody goes, oh, yeah, I know I've got to be saved. Listen, this means being made new through the blood of Jesus. This means being made new because of the grace of Jesus. This means being made new because of the mercy of of Jesus. You see, everything centers around Jesus. Yesterday, as we stood in this room, as I stood in this room and spoke to a family at Miss Bessie's funeral, Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Shepherd. Jesus is the Sovereign. It's about Jesus. And men, please listen. Ladies, listen. Teenagers, you know this, but listen. Being saved only happens. Being saved only happens when we realize that there is nothing good in us. When we realize that apart from Jesus, we're hopeless. When we realize apart from Jesus, we're helpless. When we realize apart from Jesus that we're on our way to that place that is eternal darkness and and eternal separation and eternal punishment. And if we never come to that place, we will never repent of our sin. It's, it's this, is that Jesus takes his red blood and he pours it over a soul that is black with sin. That would be you and me. And when he, I don't know the chemical reaction of this, but red into black turns into white. A soul that is white as snow. That's what Jesus is looking for in every person in this building. But since his Father's Day, 
pick on the dads. He's looking for men today who are saved. Secondly, he's looking for men who are sold out. He's looking for men who are sold out. Men, you know what sold out is. It's, it's all in. Too many people inside the church aspire to be saved and not sell out to following Jesus. They want to give Jesus just enough to have some fire insurance. Last week we attended in L.A., we attended a Rick Warren's church, Saddleback, and he gave one of the most powerful messages that I've heard in many days, and it was on distractions. Distractions. Misplaced priorities. A man that is sold out had his, has his priorities in line with God's agenda. What is God's agenda for the world? God's kingdom. He is looking for men and women and teenagers. He is looking for those who will not be distracted. Because here, let me, let me tell you this spiritually. Distraction leads to inactivity. And inactivity is disobedience. And make no mistake, brothers and sisters, distractions are easy. It's easy to become distracted. It's easy to fall into disobedience. It's easy to not be sold out. I bring your attention to Luke, verse 9, chapter 9, verse uh, 62. Jesus said this. He said, no one, not even one, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Last, two weeks ago, we talked about the, Max, the Matthew 6.33 passage where Jesus said, you've got to seek first the kingdom of God. You have to put God first in your life. We know, we know what sold out means because we sell out to many things. We're just kind of family here. I know we have a lot of guests because it's Father's Day and what have you, but we sell out to careers, to our jobs. We sell out to our hobbies. We sell out to sports. We sell out to ball teams. We sell out to all kind of things. We sell out to just being good. I'm a diehard Saints fan. And somebody goes, did you ever put a bag over your face? I go, nope. But I will tell you this, I'm old enough that I saw the New Orleans Saints play in the Tulane Stadium before the dome was ever built. I'm never, I have never backed off from being a Saints fan. Deborah will tell you that even in those bad days, I'd watch the TV. I did go to the Tulane Stadium, and after they got the dome built, we went there one or two times. I don't frequent those games much. It's just kind of an environment that I'm not really comfortable with. That's no slam on you. If you like going, it's fine. But here's what I think every time I go into one of those. Every time I go into one of those stadiums and I see the face paint and I see the weird clothing and I see the unashamed commitment I think I would to God that God's people would get as committed to him as they are to them. 
You see, God is looking for people who are sold out. Number three, men, he's looking for someone who's strong. Am I doing that? Looking for someone who is strong. Strong. Okay. I said earlier that he's looking for real men. Here's the truth. Following Jesus is not for wimps. You commit your life to Jesus. He does the heavy lifting with the dying on the cross. But then, but then, earthly battles begin. We may have won the war, but earthly battles begin. That's why Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord. Be strengthened in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God. You know, it is the masculinity that Jesus wants to use in your life, men, to direct and to and to save this earth. It's for the work of His kingdom. One of the reasons the church in America is in such a mess that there are few warriors left. He wants, God wants, and He needs men who are willing to stand strong in the faith and in the face of opposition. He needs men who will stand strong on His Word and demonstrate faith like the world has not seen. Demonstrate a right example. This means being strong enough to stand for the Lord against whatever comes against us. Be strong in the Lord. Man, some of the strongest men around are construction workers. Do you know that's what God's called us to be? Warriors, construction workers. He's called us men to be the leaders in the building of his kingdom. Now you flexed your muscles and kind of let everybody know, hey, I'm the strong man. Watch this. Let's rain on your parade a little bit. He's also looking for men who are submissive. When you talk about opposite, strong, and submissive, how in the world do you do that? Any man who thinks himself too strong to kneel before a holy God is arrogance run amok. The one who won't kneel before God is the one who has never truly encountered the living Lord. Because to encounter the living Lord is to meet the sovereign God of the universe and to walk away with the same attitude that Isaiah did. Isaiah 6, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Then he described and high and lifted up. And uh, a couple weeks ago, Ben preached on this passage. High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And his attitude was... I am unworthy. I am unclean. I am undone. And it's not only me. It's the crowd I run with. Woe is me. No one, I I say this frequently from this pulpit, no one struts out of the kingdom of God. The man who is a strong man and a submissive man is a man who believes in the power of prayer and is a prayer warrior. A real man 
is a man of God. You know, one of the things that about men is that we're the leaders. The Bible tells us we're the leaders. And so we lead. Where do we lead, Eric? We lead to the deer stand, to the fishing hole, to the ball field. We lead to all those places. But when it gets time to lead something that lasts eternal, like, like spiritual things, like to Jesus, we want to hand that off to Mama. That's not the way it works. You see, God has called us to be the spiritual leaders as well as the physical leaders. God is looking for men who will submit to him and his words. If you just want to write them down for sake of time, I'm not going to turn there. You can look in Romans 8. You can look at James 4. And basically it says you need to submit. A real man submits to a holy God. Fifth type of man God's looking for is a steadfast man. Steadfast. To be steadfast means... You can be counted on. It means that you're committed. It means that you're devoted. It means that, that when things get bad, you walk in. Because for many, when things get bad, you walk out. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fell and, and filled those people with his Holy Presence. Man, I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall there. I'd have loved to have been there and, and, and saw those tongues of fire and, and felt the falling of the Holy Spirit there. But in the aftermath of being filled with the Spirit, Acts 2 says they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They, devote, they devoted themselves to the teachings. They devoted themselves to meeting together. They devote, And they didn't get together once a week. Are you listening? They got together once a day. Wouldn't you like that? Once a day. Why? Because they needed each other. They needed what, what God was doing. They needed to hear what God was doing in each other. They knew the value of learning. They knew the value of living together. The steadfast man brings his family into fellowship with the church. He doesn't send them. A steadfast man is one that can be counted on. He's the one that leads his family in a spiritual way. That's the man God's looking for. Number six. You're going to say, boy, that's a woke term. Well, no, it's not. But I'm just going to use it. It's a self-aware. It's a man who is self-aware. God is looking for men who do not think more of themselves than they think of others. In fact, Romans 12 tells us that we should not think too much of ourselves. Huh? that we should really think more of others. He wants men constantly to be self-examining their lives, to be self-examining their motives. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He said, How can you say to a brother, Get that speck out of your eye when you have a log in your own? In other words, why are you going to nitpick someone else when you have so much going on in your life? I, I'm just going to tell you, I have, some, I have an enemy. I finally figured it out. I have an enemy in this church. 
Brother Jerry, if you'll tell us, we'll take care of it. I'll tell you. I wish you could. You know who the enemy is? You're looking at him. I am my own worst enemy. Because just about the time I think I got it all together, God says, you ain't even started, boy. You see, God wants us self-aware. That's why 2 Corinthians 13, 5, which I mentioned so many times, says examine yourself how you're in the faith. Prove yourself. Know yourself. Test yourself. I think of John the Baptist being self-aware. That's a man's man. He ate bugs. I guess he's good in protein there, Todd. He ate bugs. Lived out in the wild. He would have probably had the biggest rack if he had been in Mississippi. And he said about Jesus, he said, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoelaces. He was self-aware. Men, let us not be, let us not be the men who overrate ourselves in our spiritual walk. Let us not be those who underrate Jesus in his sovereignty and his power. Let's be self-aware. Number seven, sensible. God is looking for a sensible man. There are some things in this life that do not make sense unless you view it through the lens that this is really a fallen and depraved world. You see, if we think this world is intrinsically good, which is a part of our culture today, we will think there is no change needed. James asked this question. He says, Where do the, what is the source of wars and fights among you? What is the source of these wars and fights? And then he answers his own question. And he says, don't they come from your passions? If you don't know what those passions are. That's your want-tos. Don't they come from your passions and desires that war within you? You see, God is looking for for men, particularly people who are becoming peacemakers. Here's what I want to tell you is that this world is so fallen and depraved that, that if left to its own, it's going to destroy itself. Have you not seen, are you not watching Google News or Yahoo News or... Oh, yeah, there's a, they're still the TV, aren't they? And, and there was a newspaper at one... Are you not watching any of this? This world is going down the tubes trying to do it without God. People, the only way that happens is people, men, are trying to, to do their own thing. We got a culture that thinks if we just get out of the way and get religion out of it and let mankind be, have their head, it'll get better. Well, I'm just going to tell you, we've been trying that for the last 50 years and it's going down the toilet. You see, he wants men who are sensible. He wants men who are not warmongers, but peacemakers. He, he wants men who have, uh, have, instead of being a source of fights and feud, 
be a source of friendship and grace that only He gives. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. If you remember nothing else I said today, how about that? How about remember that? Blessed are the peacemakers. Number eight, spirit-filled. There's so much confusion about being filled with the Spirit today. And we Baptists have not helped ourselves. Oh, man, you get saved, you got the Spirit, and it's, and it's a done deal. Well, if that's true, if all you're ever going to get of the Spirit is when the Spirit comes in you and saves you, if that is it, then somebody just explain to me how Paul missed it so badly. <laughs> and explain to me experientially how I can walk into a place sometimes and I can sense the very presence of God and I can walk into another place or even the same place at another time and I don't sense Him at all. Paul said... Don't be drunk with wine. Can I give you the watch translation? Don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Spirit. Hello? You see, when you get drunk with wine, you don't control yourself. You've seen it before. You've seen those folks who are inebriated. And, and I have to tell you, confess my sin to you when I was a teenager, and I'd see my friends drunk out of their minds. I always got tickled because they were idiots. I mean, I mean, you know, somebody says, well, alcohol just enhances your personality. Well, if you're an idiot going in, it makes it worse. Because they did things, and, and people would go, oh, don't pay attention to them. It's just the alcohol. Wouldn't you love for the society to say about those of us in here, oh, don't pay attention to them. <laughs> they just controlled by the Spirit of God. You see, that's when life changes. Somebody asked me one time, how do you know when you feel with the Spirit? And I'm just, just honest. I'm str- I struggle with that. One day in my prayer time, one word came, aware, came to me that will help you, if it helps you like it helped me. In the times that I know I'm filled with the Spirit, there is, listen to this, there is an awareness. There is an awareness. There is a, an awareness that the Holy Spirit is residing in me, that he's leading me, guiding me. When I face a decision, I know that I have to ask him, and then I know I have to do what he's leading me to do when I am filled with the Spirit. Also, when the Spirit is in you, nothing comes out of you except from him. Hello? You see, he's looking for men who are controlled not by their own desire, not by their own heart, not by their own mind, not by their own talents, but by the Spirit of God placed in them. Number nine, he's looking for sharing men, men who will share. God is looking for people who will share. You know why? Because he don't have to look for the greedy and the stingy and the selfish. They're everywhere. You see, he wants men who have a passion to give rather than get. He he wants men who have a passion to help. He wants men who have a passion to serve. He wants men who have a passion to minister to people. And sadly, in the United States of America, the greatest land the world has ever known, sharing 
caring has become a neglected part of many church lives. Sharing. And yet it was a huge part of Jesus' ministry. You follow it down. You read those four Gospels, those biographical accounts of Jesus. He shared with the poor. He shared with the hungry. He shared with the needy. He shared with the hopeless. He shared with the helpless. And then he conveyed that to his disciples. In fact, think about this. After Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John's heading into the temple. And what were their words? Peter said, silver and gold, I don't have any. But what I do have, I freely give you. What do you have to give today? Will you give it? We're never more like Jesus than when we share, men. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. That means we share. Do you realize this, men, ladies, teenagers? Do you realize this? We say that we have been saved by the power of God. Do you realize that you're not the period in that equation? Do you realize you're just the conduit? The gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. That means whatever he puts in you, new life, it's on its way to somebody else. He wants us to be sharing people. Men, finally, the last word that God's looking for is sensitive. I can hear it now. Preacher, I don't really like some of those characteristics that you said Jesus is looking for that God is searching out because they don't seem very manly to me. My question is, not manly? By whose standards? By whose standards? Seems to me that you didn't create mankind. He did. So just think about that thought just for a few minutes. God is looking for men who will be His. Who have crossed the road from being good men to being godly men. Our Lord, look at those ten, that list of ten items up there. Our Lord Jesus mastered every one of those. He has every one of those qualities. And He's looking for men just like him. He'll take us like we are and make us into what he wants us to be. An insensitive male. Did I get your attention? An insensitive male is both a false replica and a poor imitation of his creator. The natural man is not concerned about the souls of others. He's not concerned about the eternal abode of others. The natural man is comfortable and he does only what is convenient and what he wants to do. Spiritually, those needs would be on God's agenda to be ready to speak a word for the hope that is in you. Folks, you combine all of this, 
And you get the man that God is looking for. Concerned about friends, concerned about neighbors, concerned about family, concerned about strangers, even concerned about enemies. Because he knows this life is not the end. And he knows what lies ahead for somebody out there in eternity without Jesus. Dwight L. Moody, an evangelist, said, The world is yet to see what one man sold out to God could accomplish. And then he finished that statement by saying, And by God's grace, I'm going to be that man. He made that decision, and he shook two continents for Christ. The man that God is looking for today is like that. Men who are concerned. So today, men, women, teenagers, children, everybody. The question is this. Question mark. Are you somebody that God wants? Do you possess these characteristics? Well, let me just tell you, if you don't, I know somebody who will help you develop them. He'll begin right there at your salvation. He will call you to himself. He will walk with you day by day by day. But I'm going to tell you, I don't want to soft sell this. It's not easy to be the man or the woman that God wants. I told you about being at Saddleback and that message on distractions and priorities. This week I bought a book. I know you're not surprised. Most of you know I read a lot. What Rick said in his sermon and what J.D. said in his book are the same. I want you to hear it. To be a Christ follower and to continue your life with business as usual may be an American form of Christianity, but it's not a biblical form. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible, which is the only authentic definition, tells us that it's all or nothing. Faith, we talk about faith. For years, faith was forsaking all, I take him. Really? What have you forsaken? heard an old preacher say most of us won't even forsake breakfast. How can we forsake all? We need to let that kind of germinate. It means seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness. And you know why it says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Because they they go together. You will never get into his kingdom without his righteousness, and you'll never get his righteousness without being a part of his kingdom. Salvation, being saved, is submitting to Christ, is kneeling before Christ, is selling out to Christ, kneeling at the cross, humbling yourself. It is giving Him everything you have and everything you hope to be. Men, Paul writes to you in the last part 
of what we call 1 Corinthians. In the English Standard Version, listen to this. Be alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Cleve McClary is a speaker who is a Vietnam vet. In Vietnam, he lost an eye and an arm. And he says, to quote him, in this world of give and take, there are not enough folks who are willing to give what it takes. The reason God is calling us today, men, I'm going to point this to you, is because he created us to lead. Oops, that stepped on all the modern day philosophy. If you don't like that, you don't take it up with me, you take it up with the author of the book. He created men to lead. And when men really lead, spiritually, they point their families to Jesus. He's just calling us to fulfill our design. So men, are you running from him? Are you running to him? Or are you running with him? The truth is, the scripture we began with is apparent today. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro over the whole earth. Because he wants to show himself strong to those whose hearts are wholeheartedly devoted to him. If that doesn't challenge you, I refer you to Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. He says, I searched for a man among them who would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land so that I might not destroy it. He's searching today. His eyes are looking in this building. For the Jews of old, it wound up being a sad ending. May not be for the United States of America and New Hope Baptist Church. Let's pray together.